Atmaria, welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, Wednesday the 17th of August. Kona Trubridgeho. Coming up, calls mount for former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison to quit amid revelations he appointed himself to multiple ministries whilst leader. An atmospheric river is set to soak parts of the country. $1.2 million is allocated to a partnership to grow Māori sport, but how will it be spent? And she's fed up the Rotorua gas station owner who's had a guts full of being robbed. We've been ram-raided twice, burgled twice, and nothing happens. I'm sure if we booby-trap the cigarette machine and trap the little scroats, they might not come back. Wow. But we'll probably get in trouble because we might break their arm or something. The poor darlings. Atamaria, welcome into First Up for Wednesday. I'm Nick Trubridge sitting in for Nathan Rariri. We're going to begin across the ditch. Uh, there are calls for former Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison to resign from Parliament after allegations he appointed himself to five ministries during his last two years in office. Well, with me now for more on that and the other stories making news in Australia is our correspondent in Brisbane, Pam Corkery. Morena, Pam. Morena, Nick, good morning. Yes, they're not allegations, they're actually true. He of did course. do it. Yes, yeah, yeah. What what what's he uh, what what's he said in his defence? He's come out. Oh, he's been as dignified as usual. Um he said in hindsight these arrangements were unnecessary. And until seeking advice from the Prime Minister and the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet this week, he had sort of forgotten about them. He had not recollected these arrangements having put, being put in place. And he said, for any offence, I apologise. So... <laughs> a little bit blasé, you could say, because, you know, you've obviously had Malcolm Turnbull come up, a former Liberal Party colleague of his, as well as, uh, as of course, as Mr Albanese, the current Prime Minister. What, what do you make of that response from Mr Watson? What do Australians make of it? Well, they're not happy. Um, he's never admitted being in the wrong. It's actually quite normal for Morrison. You know, he's he's just a liar, as Emmanuel Macron said about him. You know, it is an unprecedented trashing of the Westminster system of democracy. And it's, you know, going for legal advice is a good idea from the Prime Minister. But four of the coalition members, ministers in those portfolios had no idea that he had taken them over because he would always be the senior. The treasurer... Josh Frydenberg, who was excuse me, <clears throat> who was his bestie, is reportedly and using a lot of bad language, um, furious and hurt. So yes, he is facing these calls to resign. He won't resign though until he gets another job. Mm. Peter yeah. Dutton obviously, Peter Dutton obviously took over as leader of the Liberal Party after Morrison lost that election. Has he come out and said anything? Was he aware of this when, of course, he served alongside ScoMo? No, he knew nothing. Um, he'll wait on legal advice as well. So that's hardly backing him up. Mind you, ScoMo did, you know, do the dirty on Dutton. Dutton was to be the leader of the party last time around, and ScoMo took the job. So there you go. He's not widely loved. Doesn't sound like it. Do these appointments actually need to be publicly announced. I guess let's get to the nub of the issue here. Is is there a legal issue here potentially? 
Well, the one bit is, I think it's more form. It's never been done before. That an appointment like this was done secretly. Um, but there does seem to be one legal in that these appointments should at least be written down somewhere, and the Governor-General did not do that. He swore Morrison in, kept it secret, and now he's doing a don't-look-at-me defence. Where do you see it ending, Pam? Um... I see it being ugly, but I back to what I said. I think he won't. He won't resign. I mean, he he spends money like there's no no tomorrow. So, and who wants him? No one. He's got to get another job, probably as a preacher. Seems adamant. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's a, <laughs> yeah. he's the one. Yeah. 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 Hey, let's move to some other stories. Uh, Two women have been killed in what appears to be a gang shooting. Uh, Unusual. Why? Well, a debate's erupted. The police boss investigating, and it was a gang shooting of two women sitting in the back seat of a car in Sydney. Um, He says the murders are a new low in Sydney's gangland wars, given that they had an unwritten law about not harming women. Well, that's not true. You know, lots of women have been killed by gangland things in Sydney. Um, The detective superintendent said, I think that rule of engagement from the law book has been thrown out the window. But a former detective, Michael Kennedy, who's now a law lecturer, and he used to work in organised crime, he said, what rules are we talking about? I don't know why police are saying this. There are no rules in organised crime. And he lists the number of women who have fallen victim to gang wars that, you know, still run deep in Sydney. Um, And women have often been targeted because they were too involved in criminal networks or they were police informants. One of the women killed was very connected to gangland Sydney. The other was a hairdresser, which is particularly sad, who knew nothing. Nasty stuff, for sure. Uh, Paul Green, this former uh, NRL coach, coached the Cowboys, coached State of Origin for Queensland, of course, uh, found dead last week. Really shocking and, uh, yeah, has obviously left the rugby league community devastated. There have been there's been a lot of talk in the in the in the wash up I suppose you could say about players and staff being given mental health guidance hasn't there well, it's probably a very good idea. And Kevin Walters, um, the Broncos coach, has said, you know, we've just got to um, provide further mental health. It's important we check in on each other each day, particularly um, on that side. He said, it's it's too long now that we've played this weird tough guy stuff. And he said the NRL needs to put more focus on players, coaches and support staff. Um, also, the um, Jonathan Thurston, the legend, he said there's got to be more awareness. It's a tough, stressful game. You know, the tough image has to end the same. So hopefully it was such a shock across the nation, actually. Um, you know, and they had a tribute for him yesterday and there will be another one. And I think, do we do that, praising someone who commits suicide just question in my head but anyhow mm. it's very sad for his wife and kiddies hell and his parents who are in their 80s 90s i mean that's just appalling yeah sure is uh thanks pam appreciate it pam corkery there from brisbane yeah paul green seemingly uh completely fine his players and teammates and ex-colleagues saying he seemed completely fine and then uh this happened so a reminder to speak to each other i suppose
If you're feeling down, ask each other how they're going. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, we're going to move on to the US uh, now where the state of Georgia, uh, at, well, in the state of Georgia, investigators have their sights on one of former President Donald Trump's closest advisers as part of their probe into his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. We'll all remember that. Uh, joining me from New York is our correspondent, Sarah Walton. Morena, Sarah. Good morning. Let's start with uh, this aid. Of course, we're talking about Rudy Giuliani, aren't we? Uh, well, uh, I suppose you could say a comical character at times during that 2020 campaign, a bit of a laugh, but he's probably not laughing now. Yeah, you're right. Rudy Giuliani became very well known for that um, infamous press conference he gave uh, following the election in 2020 where the, the hair dye was dripping down his uh, face. But, you know, he was once a, a very serious um, person here in the US, uh, you know, he's well known in the US as being the former mayor of New York. And during Trump's time at the White House, he was the former president's personal lawyer. Now, he's been told uh, that he is now the target of a criminal investigation in the US state of Georgia, where they're looking into attempts to overturn um, the result of the 2020 general election. Uh, Biden won in the state by just 12,500 votes. So Giuliani was part of the team that led attempts to challenge the outcome of the ballot count in the state. He made allegations that the ballots had been stolen, that there was mass voter fraud, even though no serious evidence for that was ever put forward. Uh, And he also publicly called on lawmakers in Georgia not to certify Joe Biden's victory. This whole investigation started, actually, um, when a phone call came to light between President Trump and the Secretary of State for Georgia, in which Trump was heard telling him to find enough votes to overturn the results. So now Giuliani is going to have to go uh, and give evidence to a court in Atlanta later this week. Um, That's all part of the evidence gathering exercise that's going on as part of this investigation. He said this is politically motivated. That's something we've said, heard Donald Trump say about the various investigations he's facing. And really, it's not clear exactly what information we'll we'll get from seeing um, Rudy Giuliani in court. He's already said he's not going to answer any questions that breach the uh, attorney client confidentiality that he had when when Donald Trump was his his client and he, and he was his lawyer. So we're gonna have to wait and see what happens when he, he turns up in court in Atlanta. You mentioned Giuliani formally being quite well respected. He was a very respected and very popular mayor of New York, wasn't he? He became very popular as the mayor of New York, yeah. a, a, a Republican. He he really he was mayor of New York when the nine eleven terrorist uh, attacks mm. happened, and he became a, a well known figure internationally, really acting as a, a calming figurehead for the city at that time. But he also really took took on the task of dealing with what was very large, very high crime levels. Yes, uh, in New York, uh, you know, he took a very tough line on on crime and it turned things around new york became somewhere where you wouldn't walk at night you know every walls and subway cars were covered in graffiti and and he turned the city into the major tourist destination Mm. that it is now yeah totally uh staying on the ex-president what's the latest on that mar-a-lago raid well, it's becoming a real saga now with various groups of people trying to get to the bottom of exactly what led to that FBI raid on uh, former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Florida. So we all saw the FBI going in on the 8th of August. They found top secret documents that they said shouldn't have been removed from the White House. 
the Attorney General for the US, Merrick Garland, ordered the warrant for that arrest and uh, an outline list of items that were taken to be released. And we all saw it. And it was a little bit vague. So a group of media organizations say they want to see the affidavit. Now, that is a document that would explain what evidence the Department of Justice had to, to justify this raid. The reason they want to see it is because Donald Trump and a lot of his Republican supporters say this is a witch hunt, that uh, President Joe Biden is using federal police against a political opponent. The Department of Justice says it doesn't want to release that document. It says that there is uh, information in it that if it became public would hamper any uh, investigation that comes out of this raid. And there are also names of witnesses on there. So they don't want people to be intimidated, potentially, you know, putting them off co uh, cooperating with the FBI going forward. So today, Donald Trump has weighed into this argument as well. He says he wants that full affidavit releasing no redactions. He's convinced it's going to show that he's done no wrong. He's also insisted that he actually declassified all the documents that he had at Mar-a-Lago, although there's some debate amongst um, government scholars here in the US as to whether we actually have the authority to do that. So we've kind of got this standoff situation. Um, it's unlikely the affidavit's going to be released, um, and that leaves the space for everyone to speculate about it. And in the meantime, we're just waiting to see if there are any charges brought. Because remember, removing top secret confidential documents from government property is a federal crime. Mm. This could potentially be very serious yeah, for Donald of, Trump. Of course. Hey, thanks, Sarah. Sarah Walton joining us there from New York. It is uh, coming up 19 minutes past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with Nick Trubridge and for Nathan Lardere. We're keen for your feedback. Uh, later we'll hear about youth crime in Rotorua. What's it like in your town? Is it an issue? It's been in the news a lot lately. Also, are you in the South Island and are you affected by that flooding? Tell us what it's like at your place. Tell us if you're worried or tell us if it's, uh, you know, just another another weather event for the West Coast. You're probably quite used to them by now. Upper West Coast, I should say. Uh, you can text us 2101, tweet us at First Up. RNZ or email first up at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at first up RNZ. To news from the Middle East now, I'm joined by our correspondent Alex Beard. Morning, Alex. Morning, Alex. What's the latest on this? There's been this horrific church fire in Egypt. What is the latest you can tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so this has been absolutely awful. So there have been now uh, funerals held at two churches in Cairo for the 41 people who were killed. Basically what happened is that there was a huge church service happening at a, happening at a Coptic Christian church. And, well, let's believe, you know, thousands of people were at this church when there was an electrical fault that led to a fire. Um, as I said, 41 people dead. We've been hearing some really harrowing stories of people stampeding to try and get out of the church, people trying to go out the windows. But unfortunately, there were just so many people um, that this has led to dozens of people dying. Now, the Coptic Christian uh, community in Egypt is a very tight one. It makes up around 10% of Egypt's population of 103 million. So it really has rattled the community. Um, it is actually the largest Christian community in the Middle East, and they have had to deal with, well, in, in the last few years, had to deal with, with shootings and bombings and that sort of thing. So this is another pretty awful event before the Coptic community in Egypt. Iran is hosting a tournament, uh, not your usual tournament, a military drone tournament. I repeat, a military drone tournament. <laughs> Who's been invited? I... And can I watch it on pay-per-view like the UFC and all that stuff? 
oh, I just I wish you could, you know. I, I heard about this and my jaw kind of hit the floor and I love also that it's called um, falcon hunting. Um, <laughs> so the whole thing is bizarre. So basically it's being um, held in central Iran and it's the top three countries, Russia, Belarus and Armenia in attendance. It's quite an unusual group of countries to have it an unmanned drone um, spectacular. Uh, basically, they're in the city of Kashan and there are dozens of representatives from the four, con- uh, four countries trying to kind of battle it out and see who has the best drone technology. Um, interestingly, the Iranians are saying that the whole point of this games is to communicate a message of, and this is a quote, a message of peace and friendship and the Islamic Republic of Iran's joint cooperation with other countries to counter global terrorism, which some may find slightly ironic considering those who who are currently taking part in these games. An interesting one, and and if you get a chance to watch, there's there's footage floating floating around online. I highly, highly recommend it. So what are are some of the tasks? I assume they're not, you know, we, we use drones at RNZ, but we use them to capture beautiful landscapes and things like that. They're probably not doing that, are they? No, so we're looking at things like aerial reconnaissance during the day and the night, looking at how drones can help guide precise military artillery artillery fire. So it's 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 not it's not um, drone racing per se, but it's kind of the 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 military capabilities and how well they can form perform in a military environment. Let's go to uh, another surprise. Uh, Oil businesses are making huge profits. Maybe not a surprise. How much are we talking? Yeah, yeah. So Saudi oil giant Aramco. So this is basically um, Saudi Arabia's state-owned. Well, it's actually been publicly listed now, but was fully state-owned in the past um, oil company, and they've broken their own record with a forty-eight point four billion US dollar profit for the second quarter of twenty twenty-two. To give you an idea, this is ninety percent a 90% increase year on year. And it's the biggest earnings um, since it was publicly listed three years ago. So this is all, as we all know at home, um, oil, petrol prices have been going through the roof, especially since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's seen oil and gas prices uh, skyrocketing. Um, and really that's just led to more money in the pockets of those who are producing producing the oil. So this is the now officially the biggest quarterly adjusted profit of any listed company in the world. Mm. So I think things are, are pretty good in the, in the oil trade right now. Good time to be involved in an oil company. Hey, thanks, Alex. Alex Beard there beaming in from the Middle East. It is 24 minutes past five. I'm Nick Trubridge and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, a designer woolly sweater is taking New Zealand's fancy. Karen Walker's famous runway girl takes on Coronet Peak. Parts of the country are expected to take a pounding with a month's worth of rain in one week. That's this week, of course, all thanks to an atmospheric river. Tristan Myers from Niwa tells us what it means. And some Rotorua locals say it's only a matter of time before businesses take the law into their own hands to combat a spate of ram raids and other crimes. Thanks, Peter. Are you looking for a 14-car garage? <laughs> Not for one car, no. No, my Corolla. <laughs> well, uh, my, my carport's fine for my Corolla as well. But if you are, uh, there's one on Trade Me. And it's at 38... Porterfield Road in Whitford, which 
as we've just said, could be your next address if you need a 14-car garage. Uh, and to fill that garage, you'll need cars. And also on Trade Me is a 1958 Chevy Bel Air, which uh, might also make it to your Trade Me wish list. But before we look at that massive house and that car, producer Jeremy Parkinson talks with Millie Sylvester about an auction for a woolly jumper designed by Karen Walker. In celebration of Coronet Peak's 75th anniversary celebrations, and they've teamed up with Karen Walker. And now everyone will know the iconic Karen Walker runaway girl. Now, what is really cool about this is that Karen has commissioned one of her local collaborators, who is Auckland-based knitting maestro Kurt Payne, to handcraft a special sweater with runaway girl on Coronet Peak, skiing away on this beautifully knitted jersey that's 100% New Zealand merino wool. So just an awesome collaboration here of some really talented Kiwis and some, you know, iconic New Zealand places all coming together, which I think is so cool. So they are raising money to plant for Trees That Count, which will plant 10,000 native trees on Coronet Peak across this spring. Now, if you're wondering if it's going to fit you or not, this particular jersey, it's a size small and heaps of Kiwis are keen to get their hands on this. We've seen 12,000 views on this one auction and about 300 Kiwis have added it to their watch list so the bidding has been fierce so far with 110 bids and it's currently sitting at about a thousand dollars so kiwis have until this saturday at three o'clock to get their bid in or just go and check out this really cool cool piece of fashion it will be really interesting to see how much money they manage to raise for trees that count yeah, no, it's a, it's a great uh, initiative, that one, and uh, we'll, we'll be uh, interested to see how that turns out. Next up is uh, the property listing for this week, and this is a huge, I mean, I mean massive property in rural South Auckland in Whitford with an amazing view, just an amazing property, uh, something you really have to see to believe. You absolutely have to see this property to believe it. It's just incredible. It's an expensive mansion that sort of has this, I guess, French kind of country style to it, which is just incredible. Now, the property itself is set on 2.4 hectares of absolutely spectacularly manicured grounds. And what's really cool is the whole house is orientated out to the ocean and you have views of Rangatoto Island and the Hauraki Gulf, which is just magnificent. Of course, before you see the ocean, you look out over your beautiful pool, a spa, an outdoor enclosed entertaining area. This house just has it all. It's got more than six bedrooms, a formal and informal living and dining room, of course, and it boasts all sorts of entertainment options. It's just an incredible, an incredible property. Now, I had a wee look. I looked it up on homes.co.nz to find out how much this would set someone back. Turns out $6.5 million is the estimate there. So a lot of property, I have to say, for $6.5 because that wouldn't buy you uh, 2.4 hectares in the centre of Auckland these days. But just a, yeah, something that really has to be seen to be believed, this property, that's for sure. Yeah, wait a couple of days and it'll be 6.2 million. Uh, much more <laughs> affordable for people like me. Uh, I'm impressed by the 14 car garage because, you know, I think if you had a house like this, 14 cars would be the least of it. 
I, I think so too. And the beautiful expansive driveway that sort of wraps up and around to the back of the house and sort of goes over this beautiful brick bridge, you know, I mean, you would have to park a pretty smart car or two in that driveway just to match the house. Yeah, and plenty of room for a helicopter or two as well. Um, speaking of cars, this week's car listing, I wasn't that impressed when you sent me the email. I'm like, oh, yes, a 1955 Chevrolet Bel Air, but this one is rust-free and had been stored for almost 50 years inside in a garage so this is like an original condition almost this is a classic car and beautiful condition considering its age so yes a 1955 chevrolet Bel Air v8 convertible and one of the best things i personally think about this car is that it is pink and cream now this looks like something that literally has just rolled out of a grease movie that you'd see parked up at sort of the drive-through cinema and it's just incredible how well kept this car has been considering its age, you know, and everything that's in it has been pre- preserved. So it's got its original radio, even though that's not connected, but it has every single little piece from the boot liners and that kind of thing, you know, they, they have been cleaned up and tidied up, but it, it's amazing that it is in such original condition. It's such an old school cruiser and I, I absolutely love it. Now, um, this one is based in Hamilton and the asking price is $130,000, which is getting pretty steep, but such an incredible vehicle that, you know, has been hiding away in someone's garage for so many years. It would be amazing to see this one back on the road again. That was Trade Me's Millie Sylvester. Joining us now from our business team is Anan Zaki. Morena Anan. Morena Nick. Surprise, surprise, interest rates are about to rise. Surprise, surprise, yes. Uh, fourth consecutive 50 basis point rise in the official cash rate uh, can be expected this afternoon from the Reserve Bank. Uh, that's going to take it to a seven-year high of 3%. It's 2.5% right now. Uh, and, of course, the central bank is just uh, continuing its all-out assault on inflation, which is uh, at a 32-year high at the moment, 7.3%. And it's the most aggressive uh, tightening cycle since the current system was put in place back in 1999. Uh, We've had seven rises in the cash rate since October, and their forecasts uh, suggest uh, it ain't over just yet. Uh, The big retail banks seem to agree as well. Westpac is... Uh, suggesting uh, no cash rate cuts until mid-2024. And we've spoken to a few of our leading economists uh, over the past week, and among them Stephen Topless at BNZ, and he's saying that the outlook for New Zealand's inflation and labour market is uh, pretty unchanged uh, from when the Reserve Bank delivered its last uh, cash rate hike. Uh, And... June quarter inflation, like I mentioned, 7.3%. That almost guaranteed that the Reserve Bank wouldn't ease off. But the good news, there is good news, uh, is that falling global fuel prices, you might you might not think it's uh, uh, very low at the moment, but it is, uh, it is falling, uh, and that means yes. that headline inflation is right. likely to fall. Um, right. But... 
But look, we're seeing a lot of domestic inflation at, at the moment as well. Yeah. Rents, fees, uh, rates, and wage inflation as well. Um, mm. You know, wage inflation, uh, I know it's a controversial one, but higher wages, uh, it's often believed that that leads to higher prices, you know, passed on to the consumer. Uh, now, for mortgage rates, a lot of the rate rises have been priced in. Uh, you could see some movement, but home loan experts, uh, they believe that interest rates on mortgages uh, have peaked. So uh, some movement, but maybe not something dramatic. We spoke about TikTok the other day and about the, well, the, the, the potential ability of the Chinese government to be able to access data. And there's something sort of similar to that on your list for the day. Chinese tech giants sharing details of their algorithms with, well, with regulators, Chinese regulators. Yeah, it was was only last week that we spoke about it. And look, last night news came out of China that its internet giants, including Alibaba, uh, TikTok owner ByteDance and Tencent, uh, as well, they've shared details of their algorithms with China's regulators for the first time. And so it's usually, you know, algorithms closely guarded by companies uh, in the U.S. Facebook and Google successfully argued that they're trade secrets. Uh, and now you have this situation in China where they have been handed over. So certainly an interesting uh, development out of China's tech space. Mm, yeah, it's social media, but there's sort of a bit more to it, isn't there? You've you got to think about where your data's going and all that sort of stuff, I suppose, these days, don't you? Hey, uh, thanks, Anan. Anan Zaki there with our business news. You can hear more from our business team on Morning Report at 10 to 7. And while we're on business, let's go to the markets where your New Zealand dollar is buying 63 0.31 US cents, 90.33 Australian cents, 62.29 Euro cents, 52.4 British pence, 4.3 yuan, 85.11 Japanese yen. And if you're heading to North Korea for whatever reason, if you can get in, can you even get in? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, if you are heading that way, you'll be able to get 580.23 won for every New Zealand dollar. Anyway, enough of that, because we're going to look at a new partnership that's been formed to adequately fund and grow Māori sport. Sport NZ and the National Māori Sport Authority will work together to try and increase capability and resources. But as Liam Brown reports, just how and where the money will be spent is yet to be decided. The partnership will see Sport NZ give $1.2 million to support Māori sport organisations across the country. Called Te Huinga Takaro o Aotearoa, the funding is for two years. Spokesperson Mark Tito says it is long overdue. When you look at Māori and you look at uh, uh, Europeans, uh, the Europeans and also the City of Waitangi, which uh, everybody is uh, now really researching and uh, put in their, um, their stamp to. I think it's significant and it, I think it's uh, showing where the country's heading. Huinga Takoro hoped to make sports clubs across multiple platforms more accessible, allowing more communities to get involved. It would just increase the confidence in, our, in Māori NSOs that they have the support of Sports NZ. They have the, and not only Sports NZ, you know, what this partnership does, it now ticks the boxes uh, TPK and other institutions will say, we'd like to get involved in building up Māori sports across the Motu. It's the first significant long-term partnership for Sport NZ, a Crown entity responsible for governing sport and recreation. 
Chief Executive Raylene Castle called it a significant partnership. What we've got is um, have built uh, a layer of trust uh, and baseline um, so that we can um, not only ensure that Māori NSOs grow in the way that they need to, but there's one body that sits over the top of them, which is Tehiwinga Takaro, and also they can work closely with the Māori NSOs. Where exactly the money will go is yet to be determined, but Castle hopes it will go to places that will see more Māori, more active, more often. With Sports NZ describing the partnership as groundbreaking, Castle sees no reason why it won't be extended beyond two years. To recognise our Māori NSOs and uh, in their own right is something that is not, well, it certainly hasn't been done previously, so that in itself makes it, makes it groundbreaking. But I think it's really recognising the differences and the strength of those differences and what they can bring to the wider sporting landscape. The partnership was formalised at a ceremony in Wellington yesterday. It's 21 minutes to six. I'm Nick Truebridge and you're with First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, wild weather is set to hammer parts of the country because an atmospheric river, you heard that right, an atmospheric river has made a landfall. We speak to Tristan Myers from Niwa about what it means and we hear from Rotorua locals who are fed up with ram raiders. We've been ram raided twice, burgled twice and nothing happens. I'm sure if we booby trap the cigarette machine and trap the little scroats, they might not come back. But we'll probably get in trouble because we might break their arm or something. They're poor darlings. That's Rotomar gas station owner Kieran Marnie. She's coming up. The professionals of Morning Reporter up after six, and Corin is here, I believe, for a quick preview. Morena. Good morning, uh, Morena, uh, everybody. Uh, busy show this morning with weather watch warnings, uh, red warnings, as you will well know, in the uh, Westport area across the west coast, top of the South Island. So we'll be right across that. We've got reporters there, and we'll get the very latest. Uh, it is raining. It is coming in. Uh, it's going to be uh, bad over the next 24 hours or so. Uh, we'll have plenty of politics too. Christopher Luxon, the National Party leader, is in for his weekly catch-up. We'll talk about the bullying allegations at Parliament uh, with him going Rev Sharma and get more analysis too on that uh, move yesterday the suspension from the Labour caucus uh, from uh, the Labour Party from our political editor Jane Patterson Thanks Corin Musselis and Radio coming up in about uh, ooh, 15 minutes time pretty much exactly uh, we're going to go back to Australia where uh, well Australians are reeling from the idea of modern slavery being used to produce some goods they buy on home soil. Australian company Ansel, which sells rubber gloves, condoms uh, and personal protective equipment, is being sued in the United States. The lawsuit accuses Ansel and other major brand, uh, other major brands rather, sorry, of, of knowingly profiting from the alleged use of forced labour in, in their supply chains. The ABC's Fahana Dawood reports. In recent years, human rights groups have been at pains to remind us that modern slavery is alive and well. Now another disturbing example has been linked to an Australian company. Ansel, along with Kimberly Clark, had a long-term contractual relationship with the Malaysian glovemaker Brightway. Thirteen former workers at a Brightway factory in Malaysia who were from Bangladesh have now lodged a class action in the US seeking damages from the personal care companies. 
Terry Collingsworth is their lawyer. We filed a lawsuit using uh, our U.S. law, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, on behalf of 13 Bangladeshi workers who were trafficked under false pretenses to Malaysia to work in uh, Brightway Group's uh, latex glove manufacturing facilities that produces gloves for both Ansel and Kimberly Clark Corporation. The legal complaint says public reports about Brightway and violations found by labour audits were evidence Ansel and Kimberly Clark knew about the alleged abuses. One of those former Bangladeshi workers called Shuvo provided a written statement. I joined Brightway Group in 2017 as a production line worker. Since I joined, I saw different forms of abuse and exploitation at Brightway. Huge recruitment fees, salary deductions, poor living and working conditions, physical and verbal abuse and the general violations of our rights. The workers were charged a hefty recruitment fee and had their passports taken away. Migrant workers often go into debt to pay the fee, which further bonds them to their employment. Each of them were charged approximately $4,000 as a recruitment fee based on the representation that they were going to have a good job in Malaysia working at Brightway. In fact, uh, the job was horrible. They had their passports taken away. They weren't allowed to leave. They were required to live in the horrible uh, housing provided by Brightways. They were 70 people to a room. And unfortunately, the use of forced labour in products entering Australia isn't rare. Serena Grant is from Walk Free, an international human rights group focused on the eradication of modern slavery. We estimate that there's around $12 billion of goods at risk of forced labour imported into Australia every year. And so if you think about that, you know, there's a number of high-risk products that we import here, including uh, computers, seafood, rice. Ansel and Kimberly Clark both say the Brightway employee claim has no merit. Both companies say they're committed to ensuring that all workers are treated with humanity. The ABC's Fahana Dawood with that report. In case you haven't heard, you must have heard by now, surely we've been talking about it all morning. It's raining out there, particularly the sort of north-west, I think I've got that right, corner of the South Island. Uh, And Niwa is warning parts of the country will experience well over a month's worth of rain thanks to an atmospheric river. You heard that right. Meanwhile, Met Services issued a red warning. It was orange, I think. It's now red. That's worse. For the South Island's west coast as the threat of flooding looms. Well, joining me now is Niwa meteorologist and forecaster Tristan Myers. Morning, Tristan. Morning, Nick. How you going, mate? Yeah, really well. We've spoken all morning about this uh, phenomenon of an atmospheric river. What on earth is that? When do they happen? <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Um, look, they've been happening all the time, but I think um, you know the research around them is really starting to crystallise. They're basically large plumes of moisture, thousands of kilometers long, that stretch from the tropics, and they make their way to the mid-latitudes, where we are in New Zealand. 
they are responsible for some of the worst precipitation events that we see, like what's happening right now. But they're also kind of important to us. Um, parts of the South Island, you know, their annual rainfall is, is dependent on these atmospheric rivers. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, we're in the midst of one particularly intense one right now. We usually don't get moisture like this in the atmosphere in our neck of the woods uh, in wintertime or in August at the very least. Um, so it, it's really quite exceptional what we're seeing. Who is going to need to batten down the hatches in particular? Where, is, where are the areas going to be most affected? Yeah, well, um, look, as you, as you uh, opened up with, uh, MetService has issued a number of red warnings, their highest level of warning. And that's for parts of the western South Island so uh, those are the areas that should be um, really sort of battening down the catches. That's the Buller and Westland area. But they also have another orange warnings, Tasman District, as well as uh, they have warnings as well for the North Island. So um, western parts of the North Island, I'm already seeing, has picked up well over 100 millimeters in some areas since 9 a.m. yesterday. That number is continuing to rise. That's around France Joseph. But we're also seeing totals in the order of around um, 30 to 50 millimeters for some other areas just to the north of that and around uh, Takaka uh, picking up around 90 millimeters since 9 a.m. yesterday. So those areas already wet, expected to see more rain today and into tomorrow. But, um, it, you know, this isn't just the South Island event. It's going to be wet for the North Island as well. Um, we should remember that. And it's been a very, very wet last month for us in Aotearoa, New Zealand. You know, we've, I, I, I'm, I'm from Wellington and there's just so many slips around Wellington at the moment um, because of the rain that we've had. And I can imagine it's just going to get worse over the next few days. I'm from Wellington too, but I escaped. I escaped the weather. It's a little bit warmer up here in, uh, in, in the city of Sales. Uh, in terms of what people on the ground can actually expect, what are they looking at? I was hearing uh, a little bit of news yesterday about things like inflatable barricades, I guess you'd call them, being brought in to protect amenities, uh, pumps on the ground. What will people actually see? Yeah, well, you know, you'd have to consult the local authorities there. You know, each place has their own way of coping and their own risk hazards. You know, I can imagine those closer to riverine areas, um, particularly around the Buller River or anything like that that's prone to flooding, um, they would uh, be really sort of heeding the advice of, of, of local council authorities. So that's where, that's where I would go for that sort of information. Um, but, yeah, you know, with, with these sort of uh, weather impacts, what we can expect you know, localized flooding. We can also expect riverine flooding, which could be exacerbated because if you've noticed, it's actually not that cold. It's quite warm right now. And, and that's actually contributing to a lot of snow melt. So we're seeing to see melting snow, rising rivers further, and as I mentioned, slips. So that could cause some roads, roads to be quite uh, hazardous as well. So hazardous driving conditions, slips, riverine flooding, as well as pockets of flash flooding are sort of the things I would expect on the ground. Thanks, Tristan. Tristan Myers there from Niwa on that uh, rain that's hitting the, the, well, the west coast of the South Island, but everywhere, really. It was absolutely peeing down in Auckland as I came in. Some Rotorua locals say it's only a matter of time before businesses take law into their own hands to combat a spate of ram raids and other crimes. Frustrated residents and shop owners met with police and political leaders yesterday to air their concerns and urge authorities to take firm action. But as Tom Taylor reports, it's going to take more than just turning Rotorua into the bollard capital of New Zealand to address the city's problems. Karen Mahoney has had about enough. We've been ram raided twice, burgled twice, and nothing happens. 
nothing at all. The FGCs are a waste of time, government's a waste of time with it, and I'm sure if we booby trap the cigarette machine and trap the little scroats, they might not come back. Wow. But we'll probably get in trouble because we might break their arm or something. The poor darlings. The Rotuma gas station owner was one of about three dozen locals who attended a two-hour meeting at Arawa Bowling Club yesterday, all of them with stories about the ram raids and other crimes they've endured. Absolutely disgusted, appalled over it. Petrol station not being able to open for up to 10 days. We're locals, we've been giving locals fuel out of our gas tanks so that they could get their kids to school. Yeah, it's pretty serious. Something has to be done about these young people. We've lost five grand this year, or the last two years, and we have uh, been to all the FGCs and the little offenders have been told that they have to pay us, whether it's $2 a week, $5 a week. We're two years down the track from the first one and haven't seen a cent. So that doesn't work, obviously. Data from the National Intelligence Centre shows that in the year to October 2021, there were 53 ram raids in the Bay of Plenty district, placing it second nationally behind only Waikato, which had 76. Local business owner Maz Kumar says people are feeling helpless. They can't do anything. They can't do anything to stop themselves being attacked. They can't rely on the authorities because they're already burnt out. The police are burnt out. There's not enough coming from central government. When there's an emergency in this country, the government can move. And it looks like to law-abiding citizens, the government is not moving. We keep talking about who the victims are in terms of people living in, you know, in, with, with issues and so forth. But what you can see is that law-abiding citizens that go to work every day, those people are burnt out as well. Those people are having mental health issues as well. Those people feel like they can rely on nobody. They'll take it into their own hands. And it's, it's going to come to that point really soon. In May, the government announced that $6 million from its Proceeds of Crime Fund would be invested in solutions like bollards in front of at-risk shops. But Rotorua Lakes councillor and superet owner Raj Kumar, who organised yesterday's meeting, says details of the plan remain murky. He hopes shop owners don't feel they have to resort to vigilante behaviour. We don't need vigilant uh, forces taking up, you know, putting bats in their shop and hockey sticks and, you know, cricket bats and bashing people up, you know. That's not the solution. Labour MP Tamati Kofi attended the meeting to hear people's concerns and frustrations. He says there were all sorts of proposals put forward by attendees. Oh, I heard everything from uh, really holding our young people accountable for their actions to cages for offenders uh, located in shops. Some slightly more outrageous than others, but all good feedback and all, you know, first-hand experience. Really good to have representation from the police, from the Lakes Council, but also from the stakeholders, our community as well. In there we've got people that have been ram-raided, uh, they've been, uh, they're frustrated with some of the situations that are happening with just general shoplifting, which is, you know, which is always a problem. It was good as a first meeting. We need to do some work um, to really work through some of the stuff that was raised today to try and find some solutions for the community. National's Todd McClay, the Member of Parliament for Rotorua, says businesses are feeling demoralised and ignored, while police are feeling disheartened. They don't believe they've got the support that they need. You know, Rotorua has become a dumping ground for homelessness. We've got, you know, more than a 1,000 people from all over the country there now. That means that the police resources are even further stretched than they would have been for them then to get on top of, you know, what is a growing problem of ram raiding, you know, becomes a challenge. The police need a lot more support. They, in turn, then can support the community. 
Councillor Raj Kumar says he's worried about what will happen to his community if its crime problems aren't sorted out. Before Rotorua becomes the boarded up capital and the slum capital of uh, New Zealand, along with the bollard capital of New Zealand, it's just not going to be a place where tourists, let alone uh, locals, would want to be. A further community meeting is being arranged in four to six weeks. Tom Taylor reporting there from Rotorua. Loving your work, Tom. Uh, That's it from us today. Morning Report is next with Corin and Susie. If you're on the West Coast, stay safe. If you drive up to a river and it's flooding and it's flowing fast, don't be that guy. Don't drive your Toyota Corolla through it. Turn around and go home and stay safe and look after each other. And make sure you listen to First Up tomorrow. We'll be back on air live from 5... Here's Morning Report.